This is the Worth Recovery Podcast, featuring women in addiction. my friends to the Worth Recovery Podcast. My name is Amy. I'm your host here and uh, I'm a sex addict and I have been sober since December 2nd of 2012 and I am super grateful to be back with you today for another great Worth Recovery episode of our podcast here. Um, Today we're going to be talking, this is the second part. This is episode 132, which is the second part of Who's Driving? Um, And we talked in our first part, episode 130, just 130, was our first part of this series. And we just talked about who is driving like the car, right? Who is driving, who's choosing your path? Who's driving the car and, and what's, what's, what's behind them. So I shared a story about Liz Gilbert, Elizabeth Gilbert, um, and a experience that I uh, was told or saw, I saw actually on a video about her, her talking about fear. And one of the people in the audience asked, how do you get rid of fear? How do you just get past fear? And Elizabeth said, oh, we never get past fear, right? Fear is actually very important. Uh, Fear, you need fear. You just don't want it driving the car or choosing the soundtrack or choosing the music. You really want it in the backseat, strapped in. And we had a great conversation where we talked about how all of our emotions um, can sometimes take over that driver's seat position. And sometimes not just like backseat driving, but they actually like get in the front seat. They climb up in the front seat and they sit in that driver's seat and maybe they even duct tape their hands to the wheel and they choose the music, the soundtrack for sure of what's going on in our head. And they are the, they are driving the bus or driving the car or driving whatever vehicle it is that you're driving. (laughs) They are the ones that are choosing your path, your actions, your emotions are the one that are in control. So we talked about that last time, and today's episode is how do we evict them? How do we get them out of the driver's seat? How do we change that? So I'm going to jump into that in just a second. Before we get there, just a few quick announcements, as always. So first of all, um, I just want to let you know that our first dating and recovery intensive is full. So dating and recovery uh, was happening in June is full, and we've had such a big request, we've opened up some October dates. So if dating and recovery was something that you're interested in, the intensive dating and recovery, um, you can find out more information on the One Layer Deeper website, and we now have some fall dates available for you. Um, We're super excited about this intensive and just the possibilities and opening up the door for healthy relationships in our lives. Sometimes as addicts, we... I know for my my personal story is I got you know into recovery and just kind of closed the door on a lot of relationships, trying to really focus on my own inadequacies and my own uh, trauma, you know, trying to heal myself and and so it's been a process to reopen some of those relationship doors, and so I'm excited for this one layer deeper intensive about dating and recovery. 
If that's of interest to you, we would encourage you, I would encourage you to check out the website, onelayerdeeper.com. Uh, you'll see that information on the front page about the October dates. So we welcome you to that. Also, our first sponsor academy is underway, which has been super exciting and fun. Uh, I spoke with one of the attendees on Tuesday night and just about her experience and why she decided to join the Sponsorship Academy. And her story is so typical of stories that I hear all the time, which is I've spent over, you know, for her it's been three years trying to find a sponsor in her S Fellowship program and just being unsuccessful, uh, calling a bunch of people out of state around different areas, uh, trying to find someone who could guide her through the 12 steps and really be able to get her that kind of sponsor experience. And she's had difficulty finding that. And so I'm super excited to be able to offer this sponsorship academy for those of you in that scenario. Maybe you haven't been able to find a sponsor and so you haven't really ever worked the 12 steps. This would be a great opportunity for you to learn about the 12 steps, learn about sponsorship, um, and really dig into that topic. So we've had, I know summer dates didn't work out for a lot of you. You emailed me and said, hey, I really want to do this, but the summer dates are really difficult for me. And so we will be offering um, again in the fall uh, a sponsor academy. So I'm excited about that. Keep your eyes and ears open for that. And then also just a real quick reminder about our events coming up in New York, Atlanta, and Seattle. So that's all on the website as well, worthrecovery.com. You can go and look in the events area and look at those events coming up. Uh, we need some, we still need a few women. I've got a few, but I need a few more women willing to share their courage moment with us. So if you live in one of those areas or you're planning on attending, I would encourage you to reach out to me. Uh, Amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. And tell me about your courage moment that you would like to share with uh, our audience. Because adding more voices, more people talking about their experiences in recovery, more women talking about their experiences in recovery is an essential part to all of our healing. I would love to have you on the Courage Council. So reach out, Amy, A-M-Y, at worthrecovery.com. Okay. Back to emotions driving the car, right? So I told you about Liz Gilbert and I told you about our emotions are essential. I watched uh, the Star Trek movie Beyond this week. I love, I'm kind of nerdy. I sh I'm actually, kind, kind of is not the right word. I'm super nerdy. But I was watching Star Trek Beyond and there's this piece in there where um, Spock and Bones... Uh, are having this, you know, conversation. I just realized, like, maybe it's because I love Bones so much. No, it's not. But anyway, they're having this conversation, and Spock is telling Bones about how Ambassador Spock had passed away, and and they're trying to. He's trying to have this kind of serious moment about about death and um, moving on. And Spock says, "I don't, I don't fear death," and Bones says. Fear is what keeps us alive, right? The fear, he says, the fear of death is what keeps us alive. And then he goes on and talks a little bit about um, fear in general is what keeps us alive. And I just loved that like little funny moment and exchange there because emotions are what make life, they make us alive. Emotion is needed. All of our emotions are needed. And we want them. We want to have them and we want to experience them and we want them 
in the vehicle with us. We don't want them left on the side of the road, right? You don't want to say, oh, I'm going to be happy and I'm not going to be sad and I'm going to leave sadness in the circle of sadness or on the side of the road. That's not how it works. We need all of our emotions with us. What we need to be careful of, though, is that they are not driving, that they are not the driving force behind any of our actions or our path or anything like that. They need to be in the back, strapped in along for the ride. Now, I shared with you at the end of episode 130 some of the indicators that I have for when I know emotion is driving the bus, driving the car. And I asked you to share with me some of your indicators. Uh, How do you know that emotion is driving? And so I just want to share a quick few sentences from someone who wrote in. I had a, a few of you write in and kind of give me some of your indicators, which was Awesome. Thank you. But this is Amy, a different Amy, um, who shared with me some of her indicators. She writes, for me, a big indicator that anxiety is driving my car is when I feel compelled to act now. She writes in big capital letters. Like if I don't send this email now that I'm going to forget and the world's going to crash down, she writes. Or if I don't make that appointment now, I'm going to forget and then the things will be awful. And this second one, this last one, she says, this is huge for me. If I don't work out this disagreement with someone right now, then they will hate me and I will hate myself. What a great indicator, right? That compulsive, that compulsivity to do something right now is an indicator for her that anxiety is driving. Um, She kind of continues, I think for me, this stems back to growing up in an alcoholic home where my mother did the silent treatment. And I never knew where I stood and was anxious until I knew that I was back in good standing with her. So what great connection there. Thanks, Amy, for writing that in and sharing with us kind of one of your indicators that emotion is driving the bus, particularly anxiety, right? If anxiety is driving her car, she knows because she has that compulsivity to act right now. And kind of stemming back from that desire to always know where she stands with her mom. Um... So thanks for writing that in. If you can think of some other indicators, any of you out there who have some indicators of, you know, what, when you know that emotion is driving, send them in. I'd love to share them with our audience so that we can all kind of learn from each other. Um, let's see. So today, right, we are going to answer this question. If emotion is driving, right, if I'm these, noticing these indicators, How do I get them out of the driver's seat? How do I evict emotion from the driver's seat and get back in the driver's seat? So before I kind of give you this list and answer that question, I just want to remind you about two episodes we did a while ago. This is probably over a year ago, Um, but they were episodes 46 and 48, and I'll put the the links in the show notes. about big emotions. And I did these with episodes with John Taylor, who's a certified sex addiction therapist. And they're some of my most popular episodes. I get a lot of comments that people go back to them again and again and again. And they're just a really great resource for learning how to name emotions. If identifying or naming emotions is a difficult thing for you, then you might want to listen to these episodes. Um, Also, they're really great information there about learning how to sit with an emotion um, and letting it kind of it's like sit in it not push it away not ignore it you know but really sit in that emotion and then letting it go right like not letting it take over but letting it go if you struggle with that John has some really great ideas on how to manage uh, 
um, emotions, big emotions particularly. So again, those are episodes 46 and 48, really great information on how to identify emotions and then learn how to sit in emotion. So if it's been a while since you've listened to those, you might want to revisit them. So what I'd like to do today, though, is give you some few ideas on how to get emotion out of the driver's seat. So I want to start with this quote by Oscar Wilde. He says, I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them, to enjoy them, and to dominate them. (laughs) And I just loved that idea. I want to use them. I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I don't want them driving. I don't want them choosing what direction we're going or my path or the actions that I take. Um, I want to use them. I want to enjoy them. And I want to dominate them. So I've got currently on my list here, I've got six things that we can do to kick emotion out of the driver's seat. Now, if we go along, I might think of another one that I've used or that different ideas might come up. But these are the six that I want to start with. They're not in necessarily in any particular order, um, just kind of as they came to me and as I thought about it, what really worked for me in getting emotion out of the driver's seat. And as always, if you have an idea, I would love to hear it. So email it to me. And yeah, send it to me so that make a comment on Facebook or on the podcast on Podbean. Um, just make a make a comment so that we can all share things that work for us. Okay, number one. Number one, the very first thing to do when you know that emotion is driving is to validate your emotions, right? Validate the fact that you are feeling that way. We don't want to be in the car ignoring the driver. <laughs> I, I've seen that. I've been there where I'm the one driving and someone in the back seat's ignoring me or whatever the situation is. It's easy to do. Sometimes we feel embarrassed about the actions that we took or the way that we responded. Um, And so we just let that emotion drive and we ignore the driver and we just let it go. So the problem with that is that the emotion keeps driving, right? And, And usually it will keep driving until, if it's being ignored particularly, it will keep driving until we validate it. Validating is like sticking a pin in a balloon and it just kind of deflates what's going on. So for me, one of the very first things that I really need to do is just make sure that I validate so that that emotion is seen and gets a voice. So I want to make sure that the emotion is seen and it gets a voice. And that can look very simply like I am really mad right now or I am really frustrated. Um, Just being able to name it and validate and just say, this is how I am feeling right now. Um, That is one of the best ways we can start to get that emotion out of the driver's seat. So make sure that you're validating your emotions. Okay, number two for me is take back the radio. (laughs) So a lot of times when we're letting emotion drive our lives, um, especially if it's an, you know, I don't even want to say it's extreme. For me, allowing it to drive my life usually starts with letting it pick the radio station. And by radio station, right, we mean the voices going on in our head, what's going on in in our head. And, and so when I'm talking about taking it back, I am talking about literally taking back the voices in our head and the soundtrack. And that can look like a couple different things. So I have some playlists 
that I use that help me either process emotion, get it out, or check emotion, or even change my emotion. Like I have a playlist called Happy, and it's just a a random collection of really upbeat songs. And I will sometimes put that on when I'm super grouchy because it helps me to feel different and feel lighter. And so literally sometimes music and soundtrack can help us to change our emotion or process our emotion or feel our emotions if we've been ignoring them. It can be part of that validation phase. I also have playlists that say angry and sad, um, all sorts of different playlists that help me to feel differently or to at least tap into that feeling that I have and and really explore it and let it go. So taking back the soundtrack, literally like listening to music is a great way to get that emotion out of the driver's seat. Sometimes that looks like validation. So like I'm really angry and I'm going to listen to my angry playlist. And most of the time when I'm done with that, I'm not as angry anymore. And that emotion kind of dissipates and my logical brain takes over and I can start driving again. Also, I would say val- um, when you're taking back the soundtrack, that can also look like what we say to ourselves. Um, talking back to those negative voices in our head. If you haven't participated in the talking back challenge from Worth Recovery, you can do that, um, which is a really great way to develop some of your own um, mantras or affirmations that you use for yourself to target specific feelings. So take back the soundtrack. That's our number two, number two suggestion on how we can get emotion out of the driver's seat. Okay, number three, number three. So this one for me, I wrote down is curiosity killed the cat, <laughs> or in this case, the driver, right? <laughs> the emotion, not the cat necessarily, but curiosity, becoming curious about our emotions is a great way that I have used to get emotion out of the driver's seat. Reminder that one of our indicators that emotion is driving is the fact that we were shooting on ourselves. For me, that's a huge indicator. You should, you should, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Other people should be doing this. Other people should be doing that. That means that emotion is driving for me. And shooting is a very shaming behavior, a very shaming place to come from. I'm not talking about just, you know, like normal, we need to act this way in public or shoulds, you know, normal rules or things, but over the top, right? Over the top shoulding becomes very shameful. And so one of the ways that I combat that, one of the ways that I get emotion out of my driver's seat is to become curious about that emotion instead of shaming about that emotion. And so sometimes it's like, you know, I say things like, I am so mad, and then to try to, to become curious about that, I say, why am I so mad? And sometimes it's still with a little bit of attitude. Why am I so mad? Right? But then I try to step back and say, oh, really? Why, why am I so mad? I try to become curious about this emotion. Why am I so frustrated? I've even done this around being happy. I just did this uh, this morning with one of my coaching clients who had a pretty big, like, attitude shift in the last couple days. And I asked like, well, why do you think that happened? Why are you so happy today? And she was kind of caught back by the question, but all of our emotions come from somewhere, right? Emotion is predicated by thought. 
And so getting curious instead of shaming about our emotion, again, is like poking that balloon with a pin. And it helps us to deflate the emotion. It's like taking the duct tape off the hands on the steering wheel. So the tool that I use to get curious is just asking a lot of questions. Sometimes that looks like the form of writing. Um, I love to write. And so I'll put the question at the top of the page. Why am I so frustrated? And then I just try to start to process and answer that question. Why am I? Sometimes it might, I don't have time to write. And I'm actually like in the moment or um, driving a lot like really driving. And so I'll try to just talk it out loud. Why am I so frustrated? Why am I so mad? And really drive back to what are those thoughts that are going through my head? Um, and what are, what are the, the, um, events that have kind of led up to this moment? So asking ourselves some questions, getting really curious about our emotion really, really helps. Um, One of the tricks I use in this curiosity aspect is like two truths and a lie. (laughs) If you ever played that game, two truths and a lie, I always win that game. P.S. Because I have some things that I've done that, yeah, always that people never believe that I have. So I always win two truths and a lie. However, that's not the point of this. (laughs) The point is a lot of times our emotions are trying to tell us something. And a lot of that is based on truth and some of it is a lie. And so I will ask the emotion like, okay, your frustration, you're frustrated, right? What are two truths about what you're frustrated about and where's the lie? What's the lie that's causing this um, amount of emotion that I can't seem to get rid, get through or get rid of or move into the right position in the car? So that's one of the ways that I also work in the curiosity aspect is this whole two truths and a lie, right? What is the emotion trying to tell me? What are the truths and where's the lie? that's going on here as well. Okay. So that was number three. So we've got validation, right? It's number one, taking back our soundtrack. That's number two. Number three is just getting curious about our emotions. So I've got three more for you. Number four, this one has worked for me a lot. So number four is using a mantra. So I'm sure you know what a mantra is. A mantra is just like a word or a phrase that helps us connect with something. So I always like to say it helps me connect with the best inside me. So what's a mantra or a phrase that can help me connect with the best inside me? I uh, My current one that I use, I have two of them. They're both kind of around the same thing. The current one I use is love is always a part of the solution. Um, and I tell myself that anytime that I feel like emotion is driving me to do things that maybe wouldn't be the best for me or wouldn't be the best for the other person. And I remind myself that love is always part of the solution. So I use that one a lot, or I'll say, do all things with love. That's another one that I'll use a lot. My mom used to say that, so I kind of have adopted that too. Do all things with love. So love is always part of the solution, or do all things with love. And again, using a mantra is a way that we connect with the very best in ourselves. And kind of give us some space between this emotion that's driving things in maybe a direction we don't want to go and, you know, taking back kind of that logical brain and saying, okay, I, I get a choice in how I deal with this emotion. Emotion does not have to drive the car. Um, for a long time, one of the mantras that I used was people are doing the very best that they can. And I used to say that to myself all of the time. 
it was also one thing that I used to find some self-compassion for myself. People are always, people are doing the very best that they can, including myself. I'm doing the very best that I can. Um, I have a friend who her mantra is to just use the word soft. She uses it all of the time and it's kind of, she uses it because that's the approach that she wants to take with other people. She wants to take a soft approach with people. And so she's used this word to just kind of remind her when emotion is are high and are driving a little bit and she starts to feel that urge to do something that, you know, the emotions driving her to do and not really who she wants to be. She'll just remind herself to be soft, be soft, right? Be soft. That's who I want to be. And that's what I want to do. Um, I also, uh, oh, I thought I had a, oh yeah, there it is. I'm like, I know I had another friend. Okay. I also have another friend who uses the mantra. I am not my emotions. I am not my emotions. And that helps mantras help for a, a couple reasons because they give us some space between us and our emotions, right? Like I am not my emotions. So I've put some space like, yes, that is part of me. And yes, that is, you know, a piece that helps me. And it's not all of me. My anger is not all of me. My happiness is not all of me. My frustration is not all of me. Um, my envy is not all of me. My ambition, not all of me. Any of our emotions, there, I am not my emotions. Um, and so emotions come, emotions go. I make choices on how to deal with that. And that's one of the mantras that she uses. So like a real quick thing that's really helped me. Um, I, I like to drive. I've told you that lots of times. Um, and I would be one of those angry drivers, right? Like road rage that someone would cut me off on the freeway and my anger flares up and I'm so angry. And, you know, I used to do things like I would make sure that I passed them because if someone cut me off, it was my mission to pass them somehow. And I would manipulate lanes and I'd go everywhere to try to pass them because I wanted to stare them down while I passed them so that they knew that they had cut me off, right? And I could obsess about that until I <laughs> stared them down um, while we were driving. Now, I'm grateful to say that that is an old behavior and not something that I do anymore. Um, now I, I use my mantra, right? Someone cuts me off and I say, wow, everyone is doing the very best that they can. And then I just move on and let it go. And the anger does not consume me like it used to. Um, and so I'm just really grateful for that like small but definite concrete example in my own life. Uh, it happened today, actually. And it happened both ways. Um, I got cut off uh, while I was driving to therapy. And I had that flare up of emotion. Like for me, that rage just comes so quickly. And I just don't, I just don't, I get hot and I just feel like I can't handle it. And I took a deep breath and I said, love is always part of the solution. And just saying that allowed me to just let that breath go and then let that anger go. And I didn't get angry. And then, um, later, like on the drive home, uh, somebody like kind of swerved in front of me. And so I quickly moved into another lane and I cut someone off and I felt horrible. And this person like drove by me and flipped me off and like was really angry and, it was just a really good reminder and an example that 
I don't live that way anymore, but I used to. And I very co- I very well could when I, we let emotions drive our car. So that's a very literal in the car example of, of how mantras have helped me. So number four, get in touch with a mantra. Use a mantra. Okay, number five. Number five is give yourself options. Um, so my first therapist in sex addiction recovery, Aaron, uh, Dr. Glade, he used to always ask me these questions when I would come in and be like, I'm so overwhelmed or I'm so anxious or I'm so angry or I'm so frustrated or I'm so happy or whatever the situation is. When, when I came in and showed a really strong, um, big present emotion, he would always ask me, okay, so what are you going to do about that? That was the first question he asked me. What are you going to do about that? And that first question always at the beginning, I was like, uh, I don't know. I'm just angry. Like I didn't even realize that there was something to do about that. That sounds so stupid now, but at the beginning it was like, I do something about emotions. I thought emotions just were here and present and came and filled my life. And I didn't realize that there was something to do about an emotion. And so that just that one question really opened my mind of like, what are you going to do about that? And at first I was like, I don't know. And he'd be like, okay, you know, well, okay, that's fine. And he'd kind of let it go. And then as I learned more and I'd be like, he's like, what are you going to do about that? And I'd be like, I am going to, and then I'd, you know, give some really extreme example. Like I remember one time this uh, guy had reached out to me and I was so mad because I thought I had blocked him and I just didn't want to deal with it and blah, blah, blah. And I was so angry. And he was like, what are you going to do about that? And I was like, I am going to call his wife and I'm going to tell her like all this stuff that he does. And I'm going to, and I was just really vengeful and it was horrible. And Aaron was awesome because he was like, okay, yeah, that's definitely one option that you have. And what are five other options? And I'd be like, five options like there are not five options in this situation there just are not like it's this or this right and I've shared that with you kind of when we were talking about binary right um but Aaron was really good at being like no like you've got to give yourself some options here there are at least five options that I can see and he would give me those options at first he'd like name a couple and I'd be like oh I didn't realize I could do that or oh, I didn't even know about that option or that idea. And and slowly over time, he built up my option choices and vocabulary to the point where I could come in and be like, oh, five options. You could do A, B, C, D, E, right? Like there's always at least five options. And that's what Aaron taught me. There's at least five options. And again, I was really mad at first and yet it always worked. And it works because emotion is taking over our brain and our logical brain, right? Like is not online when emotion is driving. And if I force myself to come up with five options, I'm forcing my logical brain to start taking back over and saying, oh, wait, emotion, you have served a purpose and I appreciate that. And there are five options here, at least five options here. Um, that are going to help me get you back in the back seat and not in the front seat. And so I'm really grateful for that because I I still practice that. I practice that with my sponsees, like five options. Give me five options before you make a choice. And looking at that has really helped me to 
to do that, to um, move emotion out of the driver's seat. Okay, so the five we've talked about thus far, just real quick recap, validation, taking back the soundtrack, becoming curious about our emotions, using a mantra, um, and then also giving yourself options. So those have all been really, really true, tried, tested things that really have worked for me in getting emotion to the back. Okay, last one for today. And I maybe I should have done this one first, but this is also one of my definite go-tos, and that is to ask my higher power for help. Uh, so number six in our list, the last one on our list, is to ask our higher power for help. And there's a couple different things I do here, and I I want to I want to talk about this a little bit because I think, um, yeah, I want to talk about this for a couple different reasons. But let's just go to this first quote. So I like to use the seventh step prayer for this kind of asking for help from my higher power. So this in the seventh step prayer is in the AA big book um, on page 76. And it says, uh, this is the seventh step prayer. My creator, I am now willing that you should have all of me good and bad. And just a side note here, a lot of times I will say like rather than just good and bad, I will say like all of me both like all my emotions right like my anger and my frustration and my happiness like I want you to have all of me and then continuing the prayer I pray that you now remove from me every single defective character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding amen and I love that prayer just the idea that I want my creator my higher power to have all of me um, both good and bad, if we want to term that that way, you know, both my good emotions, my happiness, and my bad emotions. Again, I hate labeling emotions good and bad, but all of me, all of me. And so that requires me to surrender to my higher power, all of my emotions. Now, what I what I want to say in this, hopefully isn't controversial for you, but what I believe, at least, is that this to me, this prayer to me, does not mean that we let our higher power take the wheel of our car, right? This is not Carrie Underwood's song, Jesus Take the Wheel. And I think if we were to say that Jesus or our higher power or whoever it is that you rely on for your higher power, whoever you're understanding, would say back to you, um, sweetheart, Amy, uh, put your hands back on that wheel. <laughs> Do not let go of that wheel. Because it is our job to drive our wheel, drive our car. In my version, my understanding of my higher power is that my higher power is more like my co-captain, my navigator, my GPS, if you will. Um, but not like the old school GPS, so I have a friend, you know, Jeep, like GPS used to be like its own little computer unit, you know, that you would put in your car. Right. And, uh, I had a friend like there at one point in time, you could like download different voices for your GPS and they would talk to you in different accents or different voices. And I had one friend who had, uh, the A team who had Mr. T as their GPS. And a lot of times she would take a wrong turn just because Mr. T would come on and say, 
oh, turn around, you fool. Turn around, you fool. And it was hilarious. Anyway, that was so off the topic. Because I guess what I'm saying is my higher power is not like Mr. D. He's not going to tell me to turn around. He's not going to call me a fool, right? But my higher power is going to act as my co-captain and, and my navigator. This is not kind of that old school GPS. This is like a GPS on steroids. Um, ultimately, ultimately, my higher power, your higher power, my higher power, or your higher power cannot force you to do anything. If higher power could force anybody to do anything... Um, our world would be much, much different than it is. Your life would be much, much different than it is. But ultimately, a higher power of any kind cannot force you to do something. That's why he can't take the wheel for you. Because that would be forcing you to do something. In my understanding of a higher power, choice is honored above all else. My individual choice, my decision making, and and because my because I believe that my choice is honored, um, then so are the choices of everyone else in the world honored as well. That is why I must be in the driver's seat because I have to make my own choices and I have to be the one to work through those consequences and work through whatever the results are of those choices that we make. If my higher power could have forced me to do something or forced me to be sober or forced me into recovery, um, I am sure that that would have happened years and years and years ago. Um, and I could also blame my higher power if it didn't go perfectly or if things didn't work out the way that I wanted them to. Um, and because our higher power believes in my higher power believes in personal responsibility. That's, that's not going to work out. And so it's important that I'm the one driving and not my higher power though. My higher power is like a GPS on steroids in the fact that I can suggest destinations and my higher power will show me a way to get there. And along that way, he will also point out maybe some scenic bypasses or maybe a scenic lookout or maybe a different direction altogether based on what the will of my higher power is. That's what this seventh step prayer speaks to for me. Um, because it says, I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character which stands in the way of my usefulness to you and my fellows. Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding. And that's why I use that seventh step prayer, because it reminds me so much of the fact that I've made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God, of my higher power, as I understand him. And I'm grateful for that, that decision in my own life. And it helps me to make sure that I stay in the driver's seat and not emotion. So I know that my higher power has helped me so much in learning to control that emotion and learning to keep it contained, learning to keep it in the car with me and living with it and yet not letting it drive. So number six on our list is definitely asking our higher power for help. So I hope that this I hope that this list has been helpful for you in trying to evict some of those emotions that might be driving for you. Um, 
it's it's easy to let emotions take over and it's harder to kind of let our logical brain take take back that space but I know that the more it's also a habit it's more something that we practice and the more that we practice the better we get at it takes it takes that awareness that validation it takes taking back the soundtrack and really learning to control what our voices are saying um, it takes being curious. Why Why is this happening to me? Why am I feeling this way? And doing it from not a place of shame, but from a place of true curiosity and understanding. And so being able to really get curious about the, the way that we're approaching emotion. You can also use a mantra to help you get back in touch with the way that you want to be and not the way that your emotion is driving you. And then be sure to give yourself some options as far as what choices do you have? What can you do? What can you do instead of letting that emotion drive you? And then last, and probably not last, but first, definitely want to ask our higher power for help and ask specifically for ways that we can go out and do our higher power's will and be trusting of our higher power with both good and bad, right? With all of us, the our entire range of life. So ladies, I hope that that's helpful for you today and you can kind of evict or get some tools to evict emotion out of the driver's seat. I I know that this is something that I still, I, I will, I work on and I will work on for probably the rest of my life because emotion is going to happen. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, right? I want to, I want to constantly be working on that and learning to express my emotions and feel my emotions and have them be a part of my life and part of my journey, but in the appropriate place, right? In the backseat, because fear keeps us alive and uh, happiness helps us enjoy things and shame helps us from, you know, acting out in ways that would be harmful to other people. And emotions are part of who we are and they keep us um, definitely moving forward in the right direction. We need all of them. So I hope that that's helpful for you today. Uh, Just a reminder that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter how far down you think you've gone, no matter how long emotion has been driving your car, no matter how many emotions have driven your car in the past, you are worth recovery. 100% worth it. If you don't believe that, you can just trust me because I know that. And I will believe it until you believe it. A big shout out to all the Worth Warriors out there who contribute a small monthly amount to keep this podcast free so that women throughout the world can access it. We're continuing to grow our worldwide audience, which just blows me away. I heard this week from a woman in Korea, and I'm just really grateful for all of you that help to make that free and keep that available for women throughout the world. Okay, I think about you, I pray for you, and I love you. Until next time, Amy. stuff.
The mission of Worth Recovery is to dispel shame and build hope in the lives of women struggling with and recovering from sex addiction. I am not associated with any 12-step group, religious organization, or therapeutic clinic. I am an addict sharing my own experiences and recovery.